Welcome to Kissing the Cod. Uh, today we are joined by C2C Gold's uh, new Chief Executive Officer, Peter Burrs. Sometimes when we're recording, um, the conversation's already going on, so uh, enjoy. The, they got the hot mic about Pelosi's attacker. Oh, yeah, no, that would be very interesting. The the uh, the 911 call has been made public, so people can listen to that. It's interesting to hear uh, Pelosi, uh, the man, refer to uh, the attacker as a friend, quote unquote. And um, there's, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on on this one. I think that if you scratch the surface deep enough, it's going to be interesting what pops out. There's uh, a couple of uh, inconsistencies between what's been reported to the press and what the quote unquote hard evidence shows. So. Uh, but I, I doubt anybody is really going to go against uh, whatever yeah. uh, we, the, the, we, the, the the media is saying. So the media will will will, will bury it. Um, uh, but my whole thing is the guy's Canadian. <laughs> it, he is. He's an illegal alien in the U.S. for twenty plus years. Uh, he obviously should have been deported a very long time ago. Um, but yeah, he's uh, from British Columbia and uh, clearly some kind of a drug uh, adult crazy person. Yeah. But the, 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 the timing of it also, as well is very particular, especially if one considers, uh, you know, you have the midterms here uh, only on the 8th of November. And uh, for this to happen, you know, obviously with Pelosi and Nancy not there, uh, there's, you know, it's it's really great conspiratorial fodder if, if, if one really wants to use it. It's so easy. Yes. And it's uh, no, no, no conspiracies, but no coincidences, right? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's um, I, the same day is it's just interesting timing. The same day as Musk takes over Twitter, and uh, yeah, the whole narrative starts to change. It's um, we live in interesting times. Yes, we do. Both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, I know. Gold can't keep going down forever. But seven, uh, no, seven no, months, no. seven months in a row, Peter, it goes down. Uh, it's it's been the best October for the broad market, uh, depending on which metrics you use. Since uh, I think even before the Second World War, but uh, some are saying since 1901, which is really peculiar, considering that all metrics show that we're going into a recession if we're not already in one in Q4. Uh, we certainly were in one in Q1, Q2. Now the inflation prints are still not coming down. The, the Fed has hiked and is widely expected to hike again tomorrow uh, to a you know four and a half percent target eventually, uh, with a four percent ceiling. I think is the tomorrow expected number. But the, the the inflation numbers have not come down, which is hilarious if, if if you think about it. I mean, the Fed is hiking rates and it's having no impact. And then you're going to have people say, well, there's a lag effect and and all the rest of these things. Well, one one really good way to see how much uh, impact the Fed is having is to look at uh, the debt growth. Uh, both between consumer, federal, and um, and companies, um, and that number is still going up. Even the first derivative has not slowed down. In fact, with the Fed quote unquote tightening, which I will argue they haven't, uh, you still have a lot of borrowing going on, and I think that a lot of that is still trickling into the economy, giving the perception that the consumer is resilient, even though they're not. I mean, we now have statistics both out of Canada and out of the U.S. that people not only can't afford, cannot afford rents, cannot afford uh, mortgages, they can't afford regular meals. They're skipping uh, one of their meals per day on account of uh, they, they just can't afford it. 
Uh, so I think it's a very serious situation. I think that the market has certainly read too much into what it wants to believe in terms of all oh, the Fed's done enough, inflation's going to come down, the market's really cheap, it's time to buy. Well, for me, the easiest thing to look at really in the last 30 days has been the VIX. Every time the VIX goes above 34, you buy the broad market. And that's really worked amazingly well, especially if one considers or thinks that this is just a bear market rally, which is what I very much believe it has been. Uh, so I think that as the Fed continues to tighten uh, and the United States dollar continues to be the only, well, uh, as, as I like to say, the one-eyed in the land of the blind, uh, mm. there really is no alternative <laughs> currency if, you know, I mean, there's various countries blowing up, and some of them are pretty serious. I mean, Great Britain itself uh, ended up being a, a victim of a strong dollar. Uh, there's a lot of other ones that people don't talk about, like Argentina, Turkey. There's you know myriad others. But I think that this continues, and, and the Fed will eventually break something more significant than even Britain. And when that does happen, the Fed will backpedal, and that's the bottom end for, for gold. And, uh, you know, do I see that happening anytime soon? Not yet. I, I think that the Fed still has quite a bit in terms of reputation to protect. And the pain that uh, Jerome was talking about uh, at Jackson Hole, I don't think anybody's felt it yet. A again, you know, we're, we're not really seeing no, the level of bankruptcies that we've seen in the last uh, downturn. We're certainly not seeing the bottom in economic activity like we even saw uh, after COVID shutdowns. We, we certainly have not seen uh, the blow up in the housing market like we did in 08, 09. So I think that we're, you know, we're, we're still kind of waiting for the layman moment here. And uh, so I think that we're a little bit further away. But at the same time, I think it is encouraging to see how gold is reacting here with some of these uh, bear market rallies. It really is holding its own. And it is, you know, it's not being used as a punching bag the way that it has been in prior strong equity rallies where you had a rotation away from hard assets into speculative assets. So I'm encouraged well, by that. I, I heard that even though gold's down for the seventh month in a row, that there's been massive central bank purchasing, uh, like Turkey, Russia, China, like, much higher than, than in the past. So there's something going on that's that that's bigger than than we know that's coming and i think i think the other issue that, that i see is um you know we ran into supply chain shortages uh with covid and then people were buying and so there was an, a next rush but i don't see people buying now so the, you know the the next phase is is as i think going to show the the, the cracks in, in in the foundation i i i I believe you're right, and I, I don't think that we are seeing uh, retail buying in terms of gold physical. What we are seeing, though, is uh, pretty high premiums in the silver physical market. Um, and, and in fact, I think I've read somewhere I saw as much as ten dollars an ounce, which seems absolutely absurd considering silver's at twenty. So a fifty percent uh, physical premium for silver coin uh, that should certainly shake some trees and get some more silver into the into the marketplace. But on the flip side, it shows that there's quite a bit of uh, tightness, and uh, the demand's obviously coming from somewhere. And I think that this is the precursor for solid demand in the in from retail in the gold market. So tell me, tell me something. You know, let's go back down this road where banks um, go to. Uh, you know, cashless society and 
and carbon credit, you know, the social credit system. There's there's a there's cash in the in the market. There's there's cartels, there's there's you know, local systems. What happens? No, not everybody's gonna be able to, or want to go through that cashless system. What happens? Well, you, you, that entire system moves underground and uh, you basically end up with a gray and black economy in a cash system where, you know, again, something like a Bitcoin could be used as an intermediary uh, exchange button or, you know, could be physical silver, could be gold, any, any other such uh, commodity, uh, any other such alternative. But in the, you know, <laughs> with, with the war on drugs, with the war on crime, with the war on all these various things that the government has launched, one thing we see is uh, failure across the board. So I think that we will see the exact same failure if they try to rein in the use of physical currency. I think that that will continue granted to, you know, more, more limited and much more in the uh, nefarious parts of the economy. But, uh, you know, it, it would have to be a coordinated effort as well between China, Russia, the United States, uh, all the major global players. Uh, and it would really have to drive to kind of a unified currency replacement system, like the one that was contemplated after the Second World War, which just basically ended up through the IMF and the uh, Bretton Woods system, which later collapsed. So I think that if, if the government tries to do anything like that, or governments really globally, it would have to go through the World Economic Forum and, uh, and Mr. Schwab and, and his policies. And then at that point, I mean, everything falls into place, like what you're saying, Janet, in terms of the ESG and, and um, you know, having a social credit system where, you know, if you have a certain carbon footprint, you can't get a mortgage and the government controls all of it. And, and, and by government, I don't mean just United States and I don't mean just France. I mean, you know, the World Economic Forum through the many tentacles that they have in various other uh, government structure, structures through the various uh, people that, you know, for better or worse, they've influenced to be involved, you know, be they Justin Trudeau or be they uh, Mr. Macron from uh, from France. I mean, uh, there's a myriad of uh, uh, politicians right now that uh, adhere to World Economic Forum policies and see Schwab as their ultimate so, leader. So here's my here's my my issue. And, and I've worked as a policy wonk inside of government as well as running a public company and starting small businesses. Uh, the policy makers, whether it's at the World Economic Forum or it's a regional government in Canada, the policy makers are disconnected from reality. They, they, they do not have a background in many life skills. They've gone from an institution of knowledge to an institution of knowledge to an institution of government. And they have a complete disconnect to what's going on out there. And we see it every day and they're getting worse at it. You're absolutely right, Janet, but I'm afraid that it's not just uh, you that sees it. I think that there's a very small minority of people that see it. And that's the unfortunate part, because I think that these policy wonks are really a reflection of society and that these people elected them and they have, you know, they're as much ignorant about the subjects uh, that, that uh, the politicians deal with on a daily basis as the politicians themselves, they don't yeah. understand uh, what the significance of mining or oil and gas industry to civilization are. And they're happy to have representatives that are equally ignorant to represent them and set policy, which basically becomes self-destructive to 
not just industries, but to civilization as a whole, I'm afraid. And, uh, you know, a perfect example of that is where you have, you know, children. And, and, and I'm talking like, not babies, but, you know, pre-teenagers running around supporting uh, various environmental initiatives, uh, which they could never, no never have any kind of an understanding of. They have no understanding of the consequences of their actions. Exactly. I mean, and you have and propped, up, and propped up by by adults that take advantage of them, in my opinion. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And it's well, unfortunate. Let's, let's, yeah, sorry. Let's, go, let's go down because you brought up mining and you're the CEO of, of, of C2C Gold. So now we're now we're on, on topic, but not for long. Um, I believe that mining is the best sector to create wealth, to create uh, transferable skills, high paying jobs in, in rural economies. And it kills me when I go and see these dying communities being run by some central government, whether it's the capital of a state or the capital of a province or the capital of a country, having no idea that their policies that they're so enthralled with and, and forcing on people that are, are take it's taking jobs out of the country. It's taking domestic security out of the country and it, and it's killing rural communities. And, and it, it, it drives me nuts. And, and I don't see how it's going to, I don't see how they're going to change unless they feel it in the pocketbook, but they don't because they get, they get, they can print money. It, exactly. And uh, you're right. I don't think it's going to change because it's in their best interest to continue down this path of destroying the rural communities and, and to, to continue to destroy not just the mining sector, but the oil and gas sector. In fact, all extractive industries, because it's, to their own best personal benefit, it gets them votes, it gets them elected, and uh, you know it's unfortunate that uh, the people that are in rural areas, uh, based on our electorate system, both in Canada and the U.S., they don't have enough representation to sway the vote. So you can, you know, if you take a uh, hundred thousand people and you destroy ten thousand lives, and that hundred thousand, the ninety thousand will support you. And whether that's tax the rich or whether that's let's destroy the mining industry and take out uh, various types of native groups that are directly impacted by government policy, which is anti-resource. And we see this all the time. I mean, you know, the 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 the, the native communities, the, the chiefs, they come out and they say, hey, uh, you know, we actually want business to be done here. We want these natural resources to be extracted. We want and, our kids uh, to come home and not live in the city. We want them here. Exactly. And what they end up doing, the politicians, unfortunately, is basically preventing uh, those communities from developing those resources and driving them further to government dependence. And uh, of course, the, 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 the uh, NGOs and the various types of protesters, uh, they support the government uh, in this action. So they're actually hurting the very people that they claim to be helping. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's there's commentary on this from, again, from the communities, from the chiefs and, and, and the individuals that live there uh, that speak exactly to this point. But it falls on deaf ears, again, because, you know, the people in the cities, they don't see these things. 
and the people in the cities, they think that electricity comes out of a wall socket and food comes from a grocery store. They don't understand the, the, the absolute necessity and reliance for natural resources and the involvement of the communities uh, to put these things on their table and to sustain civilization as we know it. Uh, so I think, Janet, the only way really to help educate uh, people into understanding and appreciating how important uh, mining is to our society as a whole, to civilization in its entirety, uh, is, is through uh, early childhood education and, and making those kids understand where all this stuff comes from. And I think it's, you know, it, I don't know if it's too late for that or not, but certainly most adults don't understand that. We touched upon that a little bit earlier when we said, hey, most politicians don't even know how these things work. No. And it's not like it's complex. It's not that difficult to understand that things come out of the ground. It's well, and a topic, a topic for another day is, is you know, is it intentional uh, what they're doing to rural communities? And is it intentional that they're keeping people ignorant? Um, you know, that we could have a whole conversation on that, you know, because you can manage people when they have less knowledge. But... Mm. So I want to go. I want to go back. Is um, I have a, I have a I have a story um, that I found last night that I thought was extremely telling, and um, I have my issues with the Yukon. Right, lived there for thirty years. Kids lived, you know, born there. Great place when I moved there. Totally changed, and and I don't. I'm not there anymore. Anyway. The Yukon has a firewood shortage. Uh, it's the size of France. There's nothing but trees. And the government has instituted a permitting process to cut down firewood that doesn't work to the point where firewood's gone up to $500 a cord. Oh, that is and, ridiculous. Plus, and you can't get it. And they've limited the time because the policy wonks and a bad process in government that doesn't understand the situation has now created this firewood. They're shipping firewood from BC. So, and now the government's taking, the solution is to give people a subsidy to help reduce the costs. So now they're subsidizing you buying wood from BC and bringing it up to the Yukon. A, a classic example of incredibly bad policy. And, and the reason I bring this one up is I always in the past thought that the Yukon was behind the times. Well, they're leading the way. This is where it's all going. So now I look at them with a completely different lens. This is, this is what's happening to the Western world. It's, it's lunacy. And I mean, you see parallels in California where you have Newsom sending out checks for higher gasoline prices that he himself and his policies created. And I'm not just talking about monetary pumping and inflation, I'm talking about refining capacity, not just in California, but in the United States is down about 15, sorry, 5% of the last two years. Um, so, you know, gasoline prices are going up and his way through reelection is by sending checks, which is even more inflationary because it certainly is not allowing people to conserve or you know, watch how much uh, use they get out of petroleum. And the exact same thing is going on with natural gas in Europe. Yeah, 
Yeah, there, there's a conflict in Ukraine. One country invades the other. Everybody is right in saying that Putin is at fault here. Obviously, he's the attacker. He's the aggressor. And violence is never a correct thing. Uh, nonetheless, to go and commit uh, economic suicide by completely cutting off all trade with Russia, only to then reimport the very self-same natural gas and oil through China from Russia by circumventing it. I mean, I've seen ships uh, docked here in in uh, in uh, in Miami, sorry, in Tampa, that uh, they're from China, they're full of uh, LPG, liquefied petroleum gas. Um, you know, uh, anyway, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see the governments really shooting themselves in the foot, creating more dependency on the government by creating policies which are self-destructive. They, you know, they bring less natural resources to market, prices go up, and then in order to attack that, higher price they don't go and develop more resources in fact they do the opposite and they encourage more consumption by printing money out of thin air exactly as you pointed well, out the, that's the solution is always more regulations more policies more government involvement so so now we're gonna now we're gonna solve all the problems of the world number one government get out of the way Re minimize we used to be able to mine. We used to be able to cut firewood. We used to be able to grow our own food without having to have a government approval for a community garden. Like, get out of the way and let stuff happen. And it's good for the country. It rebuilds rural communities. Like Things like cutting firewood and, and mining are, are, are conducted in rural communities that benefit the whole. So one thing that they can do peter solve solve the problem how do we get them out of the way well look i think that there is some support already uh you know we see it in uh in the pcs uh, electing poiver as uh, as their head uh we obviously see some swing states in the united states that are turning uh red as opposed to blue um i think that there is uh even if it's not a full understanding, at least there is uh, appreciation of the fact that we're here because of certain government policies. And I think that in the US at least, a lot of people understand that it was the energy policy of the Biden administration and leaning so heavily on the green revolution that's really set them back economically uh, in terms of what they can provide for their families and in terms of how these various uh, you know, communities, rural communities are being developed or in this particular instance are not being developed. And we're seeing a little bit of that in Europe as well. There's now protests in the streets against NATO membership because they don't want to do the political posturing and, and turn green and, and freeze themselves in the winter. Poland is building a nuclear plant. It's not going online until 2026, but they just approved it. So it's getting built. So there's little baby steps. Now, what I think needs to really happen is uh, just like you said, the government needs to get out of the way. So what the, what people have to do, what the democracies have to do, they have to elect governments that are fiscally conscious and that are willing to cut and cut deep. And I'm talking about government waste. Mm -hmm. So let businesses do what businesses do. They'll fix themselves. They'll figure it out. Let them do it. So cut red tape, allow for projects to move forward. Look, nobody's saying anything about destroying the environment here, but we're simply talking about you got resources in the ground. I've never seen better run operations than in North America or applying North American skill sets across the world in terms of how amazing good stewards 
of the environment these companies truly are. You know who's really terrible is Asia. I mean, China is arguably the single worst abuser of natural resource extraction on the planet uh, in terms of how much damage they do to the environment and how much damage they do to their own people. Now, of course, you'll never see that in the Western print because that's not allowed. I mean, whatever Western agencies, exactly, whatever Western agencies they were in China, they got kicked out before COVID started. Coincidence or otherwise, draw your own conclusion. But fact of the matter is the big three uh, news companies, uh, U.S.-based, that were in China, got kicked out uh, in August of uh, 2019. So there's really nobody that will actually leak anything uh, in terms of massive uh, human rights abuses in China, with some small exceptions. But you know that's that's the tip of the iceberg. So we need governments to allow businesses to do what they're supposed to do. We need governments to stop telling people what to do. People make their own decisions. These are all economic. And I'm not talking about money decisions. I'm talking about choices in terms of time. You know, does it make more sense for me to spend time on this or on that? And that time turns into money and that money is then spent on product A, product B, or product C. So we can get into government regulation in terms of monopolies, competitive marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the point. The point is the government should not be involved in regulating industries wholesale by saying, we'll only produce this many barrels of oil. We'll only produce this many ounces of gold or silver. We'll only produce this many tons of iron ore. Now, this should all be market-driven and market-set. And that should also be with emissions because at the end of the day, people should decide how many emissions they should put out. And frankly, the Western world is more environmentally conscious in this regard than anywhere else on earth. We can go back to China, India, and otherwise. But consumers in the Western world are perfectly self-sufficient in how much whatever they want to put out into the atmosphere or into the river, into whatever. And of course, they're also very aware of what industry is doing. Do we really think that General Motors is pumping toxic waste into Lake Ontario or Lake Michigan? Well, if they are, consumers have choices and they can go buy a car that's different. And they don't need governments to tell them, oh, you should be buying General Motors cars, you should be buying Teslas, except that's exactly what the government is doing now by providing economic incentives, which are not theirs to provide, to go out and buy EVs. So our our first solution is to elect fiscally responsible people that can manage a budget and understand the role of government in the economy. Because I think that that that's the other thing I'm hearing from you is that's that's exactly right, and and and, and the rule of government is to develop a, a conducive environment for business, and they're exceeding exactly, okay. exactly. And you know the 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 role of government, I think, in the in the in basically in anything, really should just be to provide security in terms of law, right? I mean, that's what government was set up to do in the first place. Uh, you know, pass laws, protect individual rights, be they to property or, you know, self or or to harm. So, you know, ensure that you're protecting individual liberties in that regard. And guess what comes with private property? Low taxation. So I think that what governments have to do first and foremost is balance the books, then cut costs internally, get rid of all the waste that's going on in there. Look, fact of the matter is, I don't think that people should be throwing money into oblivion that projects, be they windmills or whatever, if they make no economic sense. 
Again, consumers can make their own decisions what they want to spend money on, and they're doing it. Um, so, so cut as much as possible of various government spending and balance the books where you end up in a place that you no longer have deficits. Mm-hmm. Why is that important in my mind that governments no longer have deficits? That's the only thing governments have ever had through the history of time is deficits. They've never collected enough money from taxes, so they had to borrow. But it's very difficult to borrow from other people, especially other governments, because guess what? They're in hawk too. They're in borrowing mode. So the only way that you can balance your budget is through inflation. You print money through a cabal of banks, be it a Federal Reserve, Bank of Canada, you name it, which then monetize the debt by through simply printing money, plugging that gap. And that's your inflation, be it 2%, 4%, 10%, 100%. There's never been deflation under a central bank system. And there's a reason for that. We've had deflation in the United States between 1850 and 1900. And deflation is a natural state of things if one considers technological progress. I mean, in today's day and age, how much would a TV cost if you didn't have technological progress or a computer? I mean, there's deflation in all sorts of things. and, And I like using technology as an example because nobody is upset about that. People now have five televisions in every room in the house, and nobody says one word. 50 years ago, you maybe had one TV. Maybe. And it took three months to get. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, too. Maybe. (laughs) So, Um, you know, look, deflation is a great thing. But basically what I was trying to get at is that what if you have a government? We've never had one. It would be great to have one that can balance its books. And it's basically just between taxes and spending. And you can balance the books. The government no longer has to borrow. The government no longer has to print fiat, no longer has to print unbacked money. You can now have a medium of exchange that the government no longer needs to control. So you can allow for the privatization of money, which we've had in the world before, and it's worked absolute wonders. I did mention deflation 1850 to 1900. That is but one example. There are hundreds of thousands of them. But safe and sound money, I think, is absolutely important for not only economic progress, but really to save civilization. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Hey, we're gonna we're 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 rambling a lot, and I uh, we should do we should do this again because there's a bunch of stuff that um, I think we need to talk about. Absolutely, Janet. Thank you very much for having me today. And uh, well, yeah, let's 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 chat again for sure. Thanks, Peter. And um, things are good at C to C in Newfoundland. I you know I, I, upset with government. I like the government there. It, you know what? They, they're actually quite efficient. I mean, they're not infallible. No, no one is. So they do make mistakes. And we've been very active. We've been filing a lot of reports this year. So some of them uh, needed a little bit more babysitting than others. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, we've, we've made a lot of progress. A lot of companies have. It's a very uh, friendly environment to, to work in. Very pro-exploration. Uh, very pro-mining as well. We've seen, uh, you know, certain companies uh, obviously you know, set up and, and move projects towards uh, production. So uh, the government there is very, very keen on, uh, on on the natural resource industry that they have. And uh, they're very happy with the money that's flowing into the province that, that's not only helping them with their policies, but uh, also helping the locals on the ground, which is, again, I can't stress how important that is. Well, they've had a history of, of industry, whether it's the railroad or timber or oil and gas or... Uh, Labrador is is well known for its mineral resources. I, you know, it's it's um, it, it's it's a good 
place to work. They they want they want industry. They want business. They want jobs there. And I think that's the practical example we can use because I don't want to make it a, you know a broad brush. Everybody's the same. I think there there are safe jurisdictions, and I look forward to gold uh, rebounding uh, and benefiting places like like Newfoundland and Labrador. And and it most definitely will. And like you mentioned, Labrador, I mean, they've had nickel and copper and iron ore and many other such things. But you know, we, we didn't even mention fishing. And, and if we want to talk about yeah. small communities and, and natural resources, that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's always been a, a backbone of, uh, of, of industry in, uh, in Newfoundland. But it's great to see them, uh, you know, become that much more engaged with the mining side of things and, and really expand away from being, you know, just one or two industries to really diversify, which, again, that helps everybody. It helps all the communities right. and it helps all the people in the province. Diversification is key, right? You've got exactly. to have, you know, protect yourself and, and, and protect uh, your citizens by having options. So thanks, Peter. Let's talk again. Sounds great, Janet. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll be back with more another day.